Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. And we'll be your hosts for today. For those of you that don't know, the Business Diaries is a quarterly storytelling event featuring five storytellers from the business community. Each event has a theme which our storytellers base their stories upon. It's always an inspiring evening. The stories are always interesting, sometimes hilarious, and it would also be true to say that the odd tear has been shed. The podcast is designed to discuss the stories in a little more depth and get some valuable tips from the business owner. Today we are revisiting the theme, Something Unexpected, and we welcome our storyteller, Beverly Webb. Hi, Beverly. Thank you for coming in to chat with us. Hello, Isla. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Beverly. Now, Beverly, you've spoken at both the Business Diaries in Tunbridge Wells and the Business Diaries in Medway. But I want to take you back to the story that you told us about something that happened one day way back in August 2011. Um, yes, I still remember that day. Been a very balmy, hot day, but it wasn't the weather that I was particularly interested in, if I'm honest. Currently, at that time, I was awaiting a phone call. And when I received that call, it absolutely changed everything. I was told that my payment terms had been changed from 90 days, or sorry, from 30 days to 90 days, which although it had been agreed I was being paid the week before, and every day I'd been promised on this particular day, which was wages day for everybody working for me, it wasn't coming in and it was one of our biggest suppliers. Tell us about the businesses that you had at that time. Well, they were very unusual. So first of all, the first one was BW Fittings, and that's supplying human mannequins to the high street fashion industry and manufacturers. So instead of using mannequins, they're using human beings. And I started out as a fitting model myself. So you're regularly measured and you fit an average specification. So every item of clothing that you're currently wearing has been fitted by a fitting model, even down to socks and tights. <laughs> and there's a professional way of putting them on as well. Oh, you must teach me that. I always struggle with my socks <laughs> and my tights. Absolutely. Then, so that was business to business. And it was during that that I started supplying larger cut models for the industry. So at the time, it was very difficult to buy a G-cup bra, for instance, as a woman. And companies such as Wonder Bra, when they first started bringing out bras larger than a G and bigger, I actually was uh, very involved with the original casting, measurements, etc. of those bras and supplied the bra-fitting models. But it was only when we were auditioning for the models that we realised exactly how many women were wearing the wrong size bra. Mm. But also how many had been missold by the high street. Mm. So that's when I naturally started Beautiful Bosom, which back then was a bra fitting consultancy business. So it was one of the first to start. And I took it further than that for mastectomy, or I should say one of my clients did, because she was a, a larger cup, she was a double J cup, and she was having a breast removed. So to get symmetry on the high street, you just couldn't get it. 
So I'm very technical. I like to know how things work. I'm interested in the bigger story. So we'd work together, and that's what I would do. Um, enable women in a very difficult circumstance to have the knowledge so that they could wear the correct bra and gain back something that they'd lost. So with two successful businesses flourishing at the same time, how did you manage the growth? It was unbelievable. If I if I say that in January 2005, I started with one model. Mm. October 2008 was one of our best months and we had a directory of up to 700 models on there. And when I tell you that some of the names I was supplying... Tesco's, um, well, when I think about the Winsmore, uh, French and Frost, loads of different people. I even sent mo- um, some models to be casted for David Beckham's boxers shorts mm. at oh, wow. one time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, to fame. <laughs> so this phone call then in uh, August 2011, you've got these two successful businesses People on the payroll, depending on you. Yes. What happened next? Well, to be honest, it was something that had been rolling, if I'm really honest. The the success was fantastic. However, I actually felt a little bit like I was Nelson's column. So I was on top of this very high precipice. I'd come from a very low place, achieving great success. But I felt very isolated, and I was. So when they say be careful what you create, what I'd actually Mm. created was this Frankenstein's monster because of my own learnt behaviours as well. And we are responsible and sometimes we don't know how. And my responsible part for that was A, a fear, but B, we've heard in other conversations about resilience. I'm very resilient. I can do lots. But at the time, what I couldn't do was be vulnerable and ask for help. Yeah. Because I'd grown up learning that vulnerability was dangerous. Mm. And so my learnt behaviour was I can do all of this and I can keep control. And actually, I couldn't. And so in that particular time, when I got that call, it meant that I couldn't bankroll it anymore. And I just stood there thinking, what, what am I going to do? And I actually ended up closing down successful businesses. I was working every single day and night, and when I did stop, I was so ill, and it took a big toll on my own health, and I couldn't do it anymore. So I closed it all down. I lost both my houses. And finally, after three years, I ended up going bankrupt. Was there any help from the bank? Was there there any... Did anyone come forward to, to give you help? I mean, I got help in the end mm. by somebody who'd worked in banking. And I can tell you now, even he said, with all this information, we won't, you won't have to go bankrupt. And when we went bankrupt in the end, and I say we, it's because even he said, hands up, I can't do this anymore. Because they sell your debt on. It's the banks and the credit cards that were the worst. Mm. Everybody else was sorted. But they keep moving the goalposts and they move the debt to another debt collector. So it doesn't matter what's been agreed, what's in place, it moves again. And actually, when I did go to West Kent Debt 
advisory. They were very, very good. I had this folder that was all all in order, and he said he'd never seen records kept so so well. But every conversation, even coming off being VAT registered, that was a nightmare. Mm. You know, I did it online, I did it over the telephone, I did it by writing, and I had everything recorded, and yet I still received that dreaded visit from the HMRC telling me that I owed a lot more money than actually I did. So, yes, at that time it was horrible because you just felt that nobody was Mm. listening. So when you did ask for help and nobody still helped you, that was, yeah, it was very difficult. And it did have an impact physically, mentally and emotionally. Mm. Mm. So did you, I mean, how did you suffer with your, your health? Well, at the time, I actually crashed. And they, the doctor would say it was depression. I now know it wasn't. It was um, something called chronic fatigue. And I was particularly ill and burnt, I burnt out. Burnt out. Yeah. There was nothing more. I had nothing left in me. Mm. But also I caught a virus and I was rushed to hospital because I couldn't breathe. Mm. And I was diagnosed with chronic asthma. Mm. And coming back from that was scary. And I remember sitting on the settee. I could barely walk. I was only in my early 50s and I thought, there's got to be more life than this. And if I was to die tomorrow without being morose, what is it I really want from life? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? So I sat on my settee with my laptop and literally just wrote. I can't tell you what I was writing. I wasn't thinking from my head. I was thinking from my heart and I just tapped away. And one of the things that came out is a memory from when I was a child about using my voice and enabling others as well. So using my own voice to be me, to to live my life authentically. Not that I was lying, but I didn't want to live behind a mask anymore and I wanted to speak out on behalf of others as well. But there was a particular area and particular people that you wanted to help yes when I was 16 I lived in a hostel so I was in other words homeless and that Christmas when I was 16 was sat around the Christmas table there were five other vulnerable young people and most of us had a background of social workers I had 13 social workers in 14 years and yet not one person had actually asked us our story or what really goes on behind closed doors so we were often involved in lots of conversations and best intentions were in place but nobody had asked us and we learned from a very young age not to say anything for different reasons so for myself I knew there and then that one day when I was ready I would use my voice highlight to people like the NSPCC, this is what actually happens when you shut the door and you go away. And I mean that in a positive way because Mm. the NSPCC were great in helping me and my family several times. But the social services, and no disrespect to the social services, they go by borders. So that had a big impact on my family in different ways. And by by saying... They weren't asking you your story. You, you, you mean they weren't really asking the right questions? They weren't indeed. So I was in care from the age of four until um, I was six. And I still remember the first 
night I was taken into care. But let me just stay here. It was the best thing that could happen. It was the best thing that could happen to me. And I speak about myself. I can't speak on behalf of my siblings. And then at the age of 10, we were told that we were going to live back home with our mum and dad. And that's what everybody wants, isn't it? To live with their family. But for me, it wasn't. So for three nights, I had night terrors. And I was comforted, but nobody actually asked me why. Why you were having them. And I didn't, at the age of 10, have, have the words or the voice to say why I didn't want to go home. Mm. And there was also, if I'm honest, a part of me that wanted that. You know, I wasn't going to be in a children's home anymore. And um, when I went home, I was the eldest of six children. They were all younger than me. And I was going back to my abuser, or at that time one of my abusers, which was my dad, who'd started abusing me even before we went into care. Mm. Then one of his friends also abused me sometimes. But again, nobody was talking about it. And then by the summer I was 13, we didn't have gas, we didn't have electricity, and I was the one maintaining, make, cooking food on that small color gas stove. Mm. And then Looking luckily... The family, you became mum. I was. Yeah. <laughs> and mum, carer to alcoholic parents as well. Mm. And I remember you saying, because you actually, as Isla said earlier, you shared a story for the Business Diaries at Medway, uh, more recently, and I remember you then saying that the authorities assumed that you were just um, not looked after very well, mm. and they would come and knock on the door, and you would, and they'd say, "Well, your parents," and you'd say, "Well, they're either in that pub or in that pub." Absolutely, it's um, the norm. Yeah, so they assumed that that's what the problem was. That's the issue. That's it. Yeah, that, that, there was a, an amount of negligence. So that's mm. what we were taken for originally. So the three eldest children were under a, what they call a care order for negligence. What they didn't ask or look further for was anything else. Mm. And so at 13, three children went back into care in Bromley Borough and the three youngest in the Croydon, Surrey Borough. And at 15, I was very lucky. I was fostered by my English teacher, which was marvellous. I wanted to be part of a normal family. But what's normal? I've <laughs> learned that. Yeah. But sadly, I didn't know how to be looked after. So when we talk about learnt behaviours, especially in business, mm. we actually learn our behaviours as we're growing up. Yeah. And they become our everyday norm. They're our subconscious. They're fundamentals, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. So you can see what's happening here. So later on when I built up my successful businesses, I was using all those survival skills. Mm. So when I was on the settee thinking about what I wanted to do, it came back to me about what are my strengths. My strengths are about growth, about positivity, about making changes, making the best out of what you have. So then I knew that I wanted to be in coaching. I'd already naturally in management and having my own business mentored people, um, coached people, and that was always my shadow self, if, if mm, for mm. want of a better word. And so that's what I did. I went researching. I knew I wanted to be a coach, but I wanted to be a little bit more. Yeah, it, than, had, to, yeah, it had to fit with your passion and your purpose. Yes. Yeah. But also I came across something called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And that's the effect on trauma 
as a child and how it impacts us physically, mentally and emotionally. So if you imagine a, a young child walking into an environment of a school even and they, they're being bullied regularly, that becomes the norm. And so they use different skills to get through that mm. that are older than their age. And then later on they'll go to work and they'll probably be very successful in what they're doing. However, there'll be something that will hold them back because they won't be able to speak out in case they get bullied. Mm. Mm. So that's where now, once I qualified as a coach, I then went further into ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and I'm very passionate about opening conversations and naturally in a business environment because we talk about the word Mm. resilience, but what we don't talk about is vulnerability. Mm. And I very much... like that myself. Yeah. I, I remember you saying to me that sort of along the way you have now, and you can actually spot people by literally the way they stand, you know, as, as if there's been something in their past, you know, they're carrying something that they've perhaps not shared. And I remember you telling me about a guy that you met at an event who just imparting at the end of the event, I think it was a fundraising event that, at the pub, do you remember that story you told me about? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, when I'm speaking anyway, I'm very open, very open about anything you want to talk about. I do believe that what we consider to be difficult conversations actually aren't difficult. We just need to enable it to start and it, it rolls. Mm. So um, some the biking gentlemen and their Masonic... And I'm going to say they are the widows, an amazing uh, bunch of men, and they raise a lot of money. And I overheard a conversation, and they were looking for small charities. So I'm involved with a few charities, and one is survivors of abuse. So I mentioned them, and then they called me over, and they said, we've got a cheque to give you. Would you just tell us a little bit about your work? So I did, and I said what it meant and how important it was, and also the the importance of supporting adults because it's not unnatural for trauma or survivors of abuse to speak about it later in life. They can't do it when they're younger Mm -hmm. and often it's between the age of 35 to 55 years old. That's the highest age bracket. So I did that and at the end, this gentleman walked over, someone He just kept looking and he came over and he looked all around and then he said, thank you for doing what you do. He said, I've just seen my abuser in court two years ago and he got found guilty. And I said, well, if you want any support on a peer-to-peer point, just for positivity as well, come to me at any time and I can put you in touch with different people. And he said, thank you. I can't talk about it at the moment, but to know that there's other people doing what you're doing makes a big difference. Mm, definitely, mm. definitely. How can we, I mean, this trauma thing is, is, we're hearing so much more about it, but, you know, how can we help people get over that? Can you help people get over that? Yes, you can. I think what when we look at an environment, because I'm very proactive talking about businesses and adults particularly because when you look at 
when we grew when we were growing up. So we're of a certain age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when we were growing up, different things became were the norm, but you had more communities. So when you had a working environment, for instance, you had coffee breaks. Do you remember coffee mm, breaks mm. in the morning and the mm. afternoon? You had lunch breaks. You would go off to a canteen. You'd be more of a community and you'd talk to people. Now it's not like that. We have so much information coming towards us. We are living on our adrenaline. Mm. And our adrenaline is what we were living on as children if we've been exposed to trauma. So bullying, if we've been neglected, if we haven't been looked after, abuse, there's a whole range and score. But we've become so isolated now, we don't actually have the time to just be mm. at times. And the, I'm going to, if I say the word trauma at work, the stress that we put ourselves under at work to achieve is so high. And yes, we can do it, but we don't look at what it's doing to us physically, mentally and emotionally. And if I tell you the biggest cost to businesses is sickness um, due to stress, mm. and yeah. yet it's not actually recorded in any financial budget. Mm. The age, highest age is between 35 and 55, and that correlates with the British Psychological Society figures as well. And another sad fact is the highest killer of males 45 years and younger is suicide. Mm, yeah. So what can we and businesses in particular do to help their staff? I personally think that we need to have forums, meeting places. doesn't have to be, you know, a particular meeting, but open places where they hear stories such as what you do in a way with the business diaries when you look at the stories and the sharing that we hear. Mm but even to offer wellness coaching because it's about the prevention and it's about preventing it and being aware. And it's not just one path. It's are you drinking enough? The small steps yeah. first. Yeah. You, you're working very hard and you're putting those hours in, so what are you doing to relax? What, when do you stop your mind? Mm. And if we're running constantly, it's a bit like a sports car. Mm. How fantastic is a sports car when it's got the right fuel in it? Mm. But if you've always got the foot down on 120 miles an hour, how quickly are you going to burn it out? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Food yeah. for thought there. Absolutely. This is all great advice, Beverly. Thank you so much. You're clearly on a mission. So what's next for you? What's your next project? My biggest project this year will be in continuing with the work around ACEs. So last year I hosted Q&A panels for a documentary film called Resilience. So I'll be doing more of that this year, but also looking to speak to bigger platforms. So I'm doing some of that work on my own and other work in collaboration as well. But I've just returned from Australia, ironically, and ACEs is something that is in the norm. So even when you go to a yoga club, they were talking about yoga, trauma yoga. Oh, wow. oh that's a good one. And, yeah, you know, and you, it was just anyone can go. It was just open and then they start no opening questions. conversations. No, yeah. just opening conversations. It's okay. It's stopping that silence. The yeah. silence only exacerbates. Yeah. And that exacerbates the isolation that we we have nowadays more and more. Mm. 
Well, thank you, Beverly, for sharing all of those points with us. I think we've got some fabulous takeaways from today. What stood out for you, Lisa? Well, a couple of things, really. But obviously, how low can you go? Um, you certainly were a, a low place. Um, but I guess if you've got that far, you bounce back. And you've bounced back really well. I think the resilience is amazing. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, it's a life-changing event. But the other thing for me is the fact that we need to ask that question. Trauma is not just a, a question that will start and then, okay, we've had it and it finishes. It's, it's got to be an ongoing thing, hasn't it? Absolutely. We've got to carry on. Because also we don't often realise that we've been traumatised because it's the norm. And I will tell you now, now I've given you a very quick overview and I now recognise how traumatic my childhood was. But if I was to tell you that it took until my 30s to actually realise that wasn't a normal childhood. Mm. So we don't often realise the triggers ourselves. They, they become every day. So even in a situation today on a podcast, we've got adrenaline running around our body. Mm. And that's good, but when it happens all the time for us to survive or get out of a situation, that's when it it's going to becomes... take its toll. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes we get addicted to that adrenaline even. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's such a powerful story, yeah, everything that you've shared with us. And just remembering that that moment in time when you had those two successful business, multi-million pound businesses, employing all those members of staff, but somehow... That wasn't the pan that wasn't the life course that you were supposed to be on. That and that it took the bankruptcy, it took you to just not being able to get off the sofa mm. to get you back onto that right path. Oh, thank you very much for sharing your story. So just give us a reminder, Beverly, of how people can get in touch with you if they want to hear more. Well, my name is Beverly Webb, and if you're on Facebook, I have my profile open. So people can message me, and they do as well. That's a fab way to get in contact with me. Business name is called Step Forward, because if we step forward even with one step, it makes a difference. So on Instagram, I'm Step Forward to Have a Voice and Step Forward on Twitter. The website is stepforwardcoaching.online, and I'm always happy to answer questions. Most of my clients are professional people that haven't necessarily been for abuse, but they have recognised that their learnt behaviours in their adult life have come from their childhood and they just want to change it and get some more balance again. Mm. And, of course, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, the business diaries, me or Isla, um, confidentially, we can always pass some details. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, of course. One last thing I'd just like to say, we have been talking about abuse and sexual abuse I do also offer um, a monthly well-being support group peer-to-peer. -peer. So if anybody's listening and they feel that they want a bit more support, that's okay too. So please reach out to me. Okay, can they come along? That, what's that like, like a networking <laughs> event? I mean, you know. Well, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, so it's what we call a well-being group. Nobody's asked to disclose anything personal and we keep the location confidential. Right. So they can contact me and we have a conversation beforehand. But you're meeting other survivors. We're very much looking at positive ways and sharing some of the the things that we, you know, the unique things and the good things also. Mm. And also what's normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, 
thank you so much. Um, so that's it for today. Um, all that remains is to give thanks again to Beverly and to Paul Cheese, who has made our fantastic jingle, and Paul Andrews for editing this podcast. And if you'd like to attend a Business Diaries live event, then do follow us on Facebook and Twitter's, Twitter at The Biz Diaries, B-I-Z, at The Biz Diaries, and where you'll find all of the dates of our forthcoming events and more information on our podcasts. Okay, so enormous thanks go to you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and will join us for the next podcast. But bye for now. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 